1: forever dog.
0: Hello, welcome to Relatively Healthy. I'm Janie Stoller. Today, such an awesome, awesome show. I reached out to Luna Pads because they rule. They are a company that makes reusable alternatives to disposable pads and tampons and I have been seeing their marketing since I was a little wee 16-year-old, um, and I thought they would be so cool to talk to because they've been making alternatives to disposable products for so long before they got, like, cool. So I was so excited because they hooked me up with the CEO and co-founder of Luna Pads. Her name is Suzanne Siemens, and she's the best, and we are about to talk. And here's the other thing that's going to make this episode extremely special and awesome. We have a giveaway. You guys, if you listen to the whole episode, okay, please stay with us, you will get the chance to enter into a giveaway, and the prize is a $100 LunaPad gift card, okay? So listen, learn, enjoy, and then come on, try to get that sweet, sweet LunaPad money. So, I am joined right now by Suzanne Siemens, who's co founder and CEO of Lunapads International. Suzanne, thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, it's a pleasure, and I appreciate the invitation to chat with your listeners.
0: This is so awesome. So, I first became aware of Lunapads about 16 years ago. And my first encounter was that I would always run to the bookstore to look at the feminist magazines instead of the books. And I would flip to the back and I would always see the Luna pads advertised in the back of the magazine. And it like immediately struck me how different they were because all of the marketing for menstrual products was like about discretion and there was blue liquid and flowery, you know, like cutesy packaging. And you guys were so matter of the fact. So I think it's just so important to who you guys are. I want to ask a little bit about the marketing and given how menstrual products were typically marketed, how you all decided to approach marketing Lunapads differently.
1: Well, great. Yeah. Thanks for noticing. Um, I would say at Lunapads, our approach was always to stop perpetuating the narrative that menstruation was dirty or shameful or something to be hidden. And I think it's bad enough that the patriarchy supports and perpetuates this story. And so we felt that You know, a feminist audience would be the most receptive to this more honest and fresh approach to the topic. And so for the listeners who don't really know what we do, I mean, Luna Pads, we make cloth washable menstrual pads and period underwear, but I don't consider us just a period care company. We're really about helping to smash the stigmas around our reproductive health and our body image. And yet, even with a receptive audience of people reading magazines, like probably bitch magazines. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, we've always faced challenges because changing one's perception about our periods can be hard, but not only that, changing habits and switching to something washable or even reusable is is kind of a big step for some people. So when we try and educate people, we don't try and kind of shame them and say, you know, you you should be doing this. It's better for the environment or you should be doing this because you're a feminist. We really rather just want to guide people to knowing what their options are and making them feel a lot more empowered about how they want to take care of their body. And so that's sort of the approach that we've always taken in our marketing and in our messaging. It's so crazy
0: because you all were so ahead of the curve. I feel like now people are more – I feel like more frequently now I'm hearing people talk about reusable products and alternative products. And I just can't imagine at the time the challenges you all were facing in just getting people – To try the product. It just was so different than like what you were saying, how the patriarchy has ingrained our beliefs about menstruation and all the marketing we were used to. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that. Like what were the popular opinions and misperceptions about menstruation and the products themselves that you were facing and trying to work against at the time?
1: Well, I think, I mean, the thing about menstruation is, you know, when you first get your period, you're basically introduced to the products that your mom recommends. And she's going to go with what her mom recommended. And quite often we've read studies where people actually don't really switch their menstrual products very often. And so we're kind of first challenges just getting people to kind of understand that there is another option and reusables are um, another choice. But the other thing about periods is like, you know, you're often taught from your first period onwards that you know they're they're kind of gross and <laughs> you shouldn't want to touch yourself and and so it's this notion that they're dirty and you should just try and get rid of it as soon as possible but even if you can kind of get over the gross and ew factor there is just that inconvenience and and so we're often faced with um the challenge of just trying to get people to just take the chance to switch and and just see that taking care of your period in an actual and natural way can really change your perception of your body. I think that's one of the biggest ahas that most of our customers have is that, you know, when you take care of your period, you actually notice what's happening with your body and you're noticing your cycle and you're actually just realizing, okay, this is why I'm feeling like this today. And I'm sure you've had interviews with um, other guests where they tell you that, you know, if you really understand your body better, you have more confidence in yourself and you make better decisions. And so um, I think the biggest challenge we tackle is just kind of social norms around what people think about periods.
0: That's so true. I, I mean, what you said about taking your mom's product, I was wearing pretty much straight up a diaper for a good 10 years there. I mean, it's so shameful. And if you want to talk about undoing stigma around your period, nothing makes you feel less cool than walking around with like you know, people can tell what you're doing. It just the whole system is set up for you to be embarrassed. So taking steps to know your body and to make active choices that are for you and work for you is totally exactly what you just said. It like changes your life. So that's awesome.
1: Um,
0: And who were your earliest adapters at that time? was Was it like a bitch reader that was mostly trying it out?
1: For sure. And, and bitch readers today continue to be our best customers. That's awesome. Um, the other interesting customer segment is uh, cloth diapering moms. Because, you know, after they have a baby, they're thinking, oh, what can I do to take care of my baby? And I want to make all the possible best choices. And so they've done the research and decided to cloth diaper their child. And then as they're washing their children's diapers, they're thinking, huh, should I be using cloth for myself? So that's another really interesting segment of customers that um, – mm have switched to reusables. Um, But you mentioned earlier, like there's been a lot more talk um, about periods and more openness. And I think that the interest, the increased interest by the media and the growing conversations about periods and period equity is another big topic going on right now. And there's activists who are really trying to promote the notion of ensuring that everyone has equal access to menstrual products regardless of their socioeconomic status. Those kinds of things is really helping to bring the topic to the forefront and make it less shameful and less taboo. Yeah, I want to speak a
0: little bit about that with you because I know your Pads for Girls program is supplying reusable menstrual products to menstruators in 18 countries. It's an amazing initiative. And I think, you know, some listeners know, but some don't, that there is a lack of access to menstrual products in certain populations that causes major issues such as girls not being able to go to school and a lot of shame and a lot of issues that are coming up around that. So I was wondering if you could speak, actually, now would be a good time to ask about Pads for Girls and how that uh, initiative got launched.
1: Yeah, so that was launched... Way back in 2000, um, I'll just actually note that Madeline, the original founder of Lunapads, invented Lunapads in 1993, Mm -hmm. so we're on our 25th year of Lunapads existence. Um, But in 2000, um, shortly when, just after Madeline and I connected and became business partners, we actually received a letter from a woman in Zimbabwe, and she wrote to us, you know, snail mail, and said, were you aware that girls in the... Global South didn't have access to menstrual supplies, or if they did have access, they couldn't afford it. And as you mentioned, um, they were missing school. And if you just think about it, if they don't have any supplies, um, and often a lot of these girls don't even wear underwear, given the environment that they live in, they had no way to kind of stop the, the menses from flowing into their school uniforms. So instead of risking embarrassment, they would just simply miss you know, the three to five days of school. Um, to just stay home and, and deal with their period at home, and in turn, that would result in them getting behind in school, and so dropout rates for girls during adolescence is very high. And you know, when a girl drops out of school, she has less opportunity for work in the future, and so then she um, is often married by her family to get married, and and then she's having babies when she's a teenager. So. The life cycle of a girl in the Global South is really challenging, and periods can have a really big impact on that and how they manage their periods. So when we heard about that issue, we said, "Okay, what can we do to support it? And in the early days, we were shipping um, our cloth pads over to the countries that would request them, and it would take a long time, and sometimes it would even get through the border and customs. But then we happened upon um, two individuals working in Uganda, and they received one of our donations. And they literally wrote to us by email and said, we love LunaPads. Can we replicate them here in Uganda? And after some back and forth, we just said, absolutely, go for it. And we mentored their startup. And that company is Afropads. And um, I'm really thrilled to say that today Afropads employs over 150 people in Uganda. And they've served over 2 million girls wow, and women wow. with their um, own cloth pad kits that are look very similar to LunaPads. And so what we do with our Pads for Girls program is we primarily just support and send funds to Afropads and then have them direct that um, funding to supply pads to the girls in areas that they find the most need. And um, we also became shareholders of that company because we really wanted to support them in their growth. So that is the kind of gist of the story of um, Pads for Girls. And we do things Locally, in t- in terms of supporting sort of local United Way and homeless shelters and people who make requests, but primarily most of our efforts is in supporting um, uh, AfroPads. So that's so interesting that there's there's so many
0: differences between your company and maybe what you would buy a menstrual product from like a a big conglomerate that's part of some bigger company. Is that you decided to you know give this company permission to run with the idea because it seems like it's such a mission driven company that it only made sense to let them do it instead of being one of those, you know, like, no, this is our patent, you're not allowed kind of thing. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think that just speaks to the value that we have around just uh, generosity and trust. And knowing that, you know, our focus is not to um, serve the global south, but our focus is to provide people in, you know, in North America primarily with the best solution possible. And we felt they, I think there's a, a real risk that, you know, if you want to try and do something in a different country or area that you feel you know best and you can give them what they need the best. Whereas I think people who are in the country and are local, they know their area best and you should empower them to do exactly what they need to do and not necessarily push your own ideas or agenda.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And and speaking of local, I didn't realize until recently that um, in America, there are so many places where we're still fighting to expand access to free menstrual products or even have access at all. So I didn't realize until a few months ago that you still had to pay for your menstrual products in federal prisons. They just changed that. But mm-hmm. in America, state by state, it's still not a guarantee. And there are states in state prison, where you have to work a week to afford a box of tampons. so And, and then in schools, I know that there's a lot of movement now toward trying to get uh, menstrual products in schools. So I don't think people realize that also locally, I mean, for Americans, there's a lot of issues on our own front door that we should be looking at. And I was wondering if you have insight into how the average person can help solve some of these issues of access.
1: first say, just do exactly what you've done, which is just become more informed and aware of those challenges. And if you have the opportunity to provide uh, support, whether it's just, you know, writing to your local government officials, or um, just, you know, being in the media and writing about it yourself, and just making more and more people informed, that's a really great start. And then just standing up for it, too. I mean, I think there's sometimes this ridiculous backlash that, well, if we're going to supply free menstrual products, then what else are we going to give for free, you know? And, and you just stand up and say, no, like this is a basic need. And, um, the other thing that we do too, is we, uh, support, there's a uh, tampon Tuesday initiatives that happen quite often in our community and across the country. And so we support those, Um, so we do every, every opportunity we have to kind of highlight the issue. I think that people are on a spectrum of learning and understanding and sometimes they can't do something right away. But I think if you plant the seed and say, are you aware that, you know, these products are not readily available or, you know, it's funny that you mentioned people that are incarcerated because I think it was featured in several episodes of Orange is the New Black, Mm. um, where they were challenged with that issue itself. So I think the more conversations and the more awareness, then people will find ways to act, whether it's dropping off donations to homeless shelters or writing letters or just becoming truly active and, and doing something that they feel called to do.
0: Yeah, it's so that's so true. And because there's such a basic need, too, there's so many other issues – that go into menstrual products. I think your company just does such an amazing job bringing those to light. And you mentioned this earlier, like one issue that I didn't really think about was the environmental impact of using disposable products. And I know that's a big part of your business and what you're looking to work against is some of the detriment that disposable products cause. And I don't think people really realize how much waste is being caused by Uh, disposable menstrual products. So I'm wondering if there's other issues surrounding menstrual products that you think listeners should know about, because that's one that just occurred to me.
1: Yeah, well, I think there's two pieces around sort of disposable menstrual products, um, which is one is the environmental impact. And secondly, there's there's a health concern. Um, And you asked me earlier, who are some early adopters of our products? I mean, some people are really forced to actually switch to Cloth pads or, or cups or things because they're actually allergic or sensitive to the chemicals and plastics that are in disposable menstrual products. And in fact, that's actually why Madeline even invented Luna mm-hmm. pads, is she was getting recurring bladder infections using tampons. And it's interesting to note that manufacturers are not required by the FDA to even disclose what is in their um, products because they consider it to be proprietary and it's a health product. Yet there are people who are fighting really hard to have that legislation change because people deserve to know what's in them and there's chemicals that have really strong reactions to some people who get really bad um, rashes and those kinds of things. So I think there's a health issue. And in terms of the environment, it's not a small thing. Um, We have people who menstruate have on average um, their period for over 2,500 days of their lives. That's like seven years of your life managing your period. And, um, you'll have on average about 450 periods over your lifetime. You'll probably throw away upwards of 12,000 tampons or pads in your lifetime. So this is a big thing. And I think the interesting thing I noticed when I met Madeline and switched to Lunapads is if I was, I was still early on and not, had not switched hundred percent. And there was a time where I was traveling and needed to use my disposals because I hadn't quite figured out how to do it while I was traveling. And I really noticed the garbage I was creating. And mm-hmm. so- if you just think of how long you're using them, um, the other statistic is that there are over 20 billion pads and tampons going in landfills every year. And um, so like even just the small percentage of customers that are using our products, I think thanks to them, we're helping to divert over 2 million pads and tampons going from into landfills every month. So you can see that an individual can have um, an impact, but collectively, we can have a huge impact. And these disposable products take over 500 years to biodegrade, if at all.
0: Wow. That's because surprising. of the plastic in them. Yeah. Of, oh, yeah. And I remember growing up, we would always, I was told cardboard applicators were better for the environment, but it's all trash. It's just <laughs> trash. So it doesn't really matter that much. Um, Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's funny because people are looking for little ways to help the environment. But this is one that I don't think occurs to a lot of people. That's just sort of literally every month having an opportunity to do something uh, that's less impactful. So that's very cool. Um, And so I was also wondering, I think these days... We've all seen, there's a lot of brands looking to commodify feminism, like feminism is very cool right now um, as a buzzword. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like cute. Uh, to, and they use it to sell products. And sometimes it's transparent and sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's really disappointing when you think you're buying a feminist product from a feminist company and then you find out, oh no, there's someone behind it who didn't really, you know, believe what they were saying. So, and, and I know there's like frequent debate too, feminism and capitalism can even... Coexist because those can be very contradictory. But I want—I'm wondering, what does it mean to you to run a feminist business?
1: It means a lot. Um, just by way of background, you know, my career before running LunaPads and meeting Madeline was—I was deep into the into the capitalist scene. I worked for a public company in the finance department, and my role was to do everything I could to not only just help increase profits, but take action to try and really jack up the share price and, and increase shareholder value. And that, that really demoralized me because of what I saw and what I was being asked to do. So when I chose to join Lunapads, it actually became my goal to prove that entrepreneurialism and social entrepreneurship in particular was not just a noble thing to do, but a really important way to change the face of capitalism. So I'm a feminist, but I also run a business, which is a form of capitalism. And I I hear the criticism, and I see examples of it, and I know the examples that you're referring to. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just I live and breathe being both um, both things, being a feminist and and being a business person. And you know, if you want maybe the word capitalist, although I think that word is has got a lot of negative connotation. But you know, you can. Cr- you can combine the two as long as your actions and your values are on solid ground. Mm -hmm. So the capitalist system needs a major overhaul, but, but business can be a force that can actually change the system. And it's, you know, these examples of using marketplace feminism to kind of shill your products. Those are individuals making choices to, sell their products in a way that either, you know, makes people feel cool, or makes them feel guilty, or, you know, teaches them how to be a better feminist. And it's really the individual in that instance. But what we're trying to do is trying to change the system and say, you know, as a business, we have a responsibility to pay our employees well and treat them fairly and um, consider the environment and all our choices. And so it's, it's kind of looking at the whole thing and not as just an individual marketing ploy. And, um, so that's why one other tangent I can talk about is that we are a B corporation, which is companies that have been certified by a third party to test and, and follow um, a number of measures to prove that we actually care about all these systems in play. We care about our workers, we care about the environment, we care about our supply chain and how we buy things. And we care about how we're governed and we're transparent. And so these are kind of bigger system changes that need to happen as opposed to just a marketing ploy.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, the proof is in the pudding as you guys have grown over the years and stuck around. And, um, you know, you have a very uh, thoughtful and um, informed consumer base. So I'm sure that, you know, there's accountability In terms of you know that like you're doing right if the people who like your product like your product, Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm sure also during the growth of the business there were tons of points when you had to make a feminist ethical decision in in you know instead of the more obvious cost saving one if it weren't a feminist ethical business I was wondering if there were any of those choices that jump out just like a memory from growing the business that where you made a strong choice like that.
1: Well, there was actually a number of examples that we continue to, um, reflect on and consider. And so it, you know, as a feminist, we want to make sure that everyone feels included. And so we try very hard to make sure that, for example, our size range is inclusive. And, you know, in the early days when it was just Madeline and I, and we were bootstrapping, um, you know, we could only afford to make certain sizes and styles and colors. And so as we grew, we were able to kind of flex our ability to grow and and provide more um, selection and be truly size inclusive. And so sometimes it's frustrating for us to see brands that say, "Oh yeah, we sell up to you know 3x," but mm-hmm. when we actually buy the product and look at it, there's not very many people that would actually truly fit a 3x in in the size that they offer. So um, it can sometimes be hard to make. Decisions for that make business sense because it costs you more money to offer more sizes because um, production costs more, and so there's challenges where you have to kind of go well. Let's do the right thing from a feminist perspective, and sometimes that means we need to you know pay pay our producers more. Um, the other the thing is though, I think when you do it based on having the right values you You truly create a better product and you are able to serve a a market and a need that has been so underserved that it really goes down to supporting the values in the long run and when you do it authentically, people notice mm-hmm. and so um, one of our best product launches that kind of really surprised us is when we you know got a lot of feedback from customers who said you know your styles they're they're kind of fam like not everyone wears bikini and not you know not everyone wears a thong and You know, you really need to offer something that's more binary and gender neutral. And uh, so we took a few years to develop it, but we finally launched and we're really happy with launching our boxer brief. And it really looks like uh, a very traditional kind of masculine looking pair of boxer briefs. And when we launched it, it was like our best product launch ever. Like We ran out of boxers really quickly and we're constantly in production on these products because the feedback that we got was like, these really fit well and they fit true to size and they make me feel comfortable in my body and not trying to um, fit into something that, you know, just doesn't match my gender identity. Yeah. So that, that was a really great thing that we learned. And it was thanks to both employees and customers telling us you know, please do this. And, you know, we, we hesitated, I have to admit, we hesitated Mm -hmm. in the early years, because we didn't have the capital to do it. And we were kind of nervous, because we didn't totally understand the market. But we now have invested in it, because we have seen that it truly is a great product. And it's making people very happy. So that's our goal.
0: I was gonna ask about that, because that's so cool. You don't see a lot of menstrual products, reaching out to people who are not you know, who are non-binary or who are trans or any sort of non, you know, like most of the marketing is like for ladies, girls. So I think it's just so cool that you guys took that step to go ahead of the curve of all the other brands in their marketing and just say, look, this is for menstruators and menstruators take many forms. So awesome. Everyone should have a product that they love.
1: Yeah. And I think that a lot of um, companies are noticing that and, and brands are starting to, be more respectful and, and sensitive to that. And um, thank you for noticing we've been doing it for a long time. And it, again, it's thanks to one of our employees who really uh, took the forefront of being vocal and, and saying, we need to do this. And and they actually took initiative to make a number of changes to our marketing and our language and and really listen to customers as well. And I think what's important to notice is that Although a lot of brands are doing it, it's like as long as it's done super authentically and not just to Mm -hmm. kind of appease, but rather to truly serve, I think that's what's going to differentiate um, brands from just Doing what you know, maybe marketplace feminism might say you should do, yes. versus doing what really uh, what you really care about and what impact you're really trying to have.
0: Totally, I feel like consumers' guts tend to be pretty right about that. At least for me, it's like you can sense, you can smell it when it's just like we slap this thing on and you're going to buy it, right? I mean, it has to come from something much deeper than that. So I love that it came from an employee. That's awesome. Um, and so a lot of us who menstruate have. Really horrible memories of not only the first period because it was like really negatively hyped and it was a weird experience, but also we had this weird talk before. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I remember getting a (laughs) talk that was like, it's going to hurt and here's a giant pad and don't tell anyone. And, you know, and then I think my mom started crying. It was all very confusing. Um, And in school, we I remember we had the talk about periods while the boys had recess and they were all like cupping their eyes, trying to look in the window and see what we were talking about. And we just want to be playing outside. The whole process was horrible. So I was wondering if through your expertise and your experience, if you have a different message you wish educators and parents would share with people on the verge of their first period.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I'm definitely not a sexual health expert and educator, but I know from my personal experience in many years in this industry that really, I think the best thing we can do is just realize that we have this tremendous opportunity to communicate a different story than what we were given when we were adolescents. And that, you know, regardless if you are a boy or a girl or, you know, non-binary, it's like this just treat it as the most normal conversation that this is what it means to grow up and, you know, have these types of reproductive organs and, you know, why reproduction is important. And it's kind of ironic. I have two boys instead of girls. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, oh, I'm not going to have the period talk with my girls, but I have the period talk with my boys. And my younger one, he came home and said, yeah, we had, you know, the talk at school and, He said, yeah, it's kind of awkward at times, but otherwise, you know, it wasn't too bad. And I'm sure he's not going to listen to this podcast, but (laughs) he said that the educator brought out um, samples of products and and she brought out a diva cup and she brought out Luna pads and he kind of jumped out of his seat and like, that's my mom's stuff, (laughs) (laughs) but he, he totally treats it as like, this is a normal thing. And so I think the most important thing to do with our kids is just really normalize the conversation and don't kind of go, oh, ah, this is kind of hard to talk about. It's just like this is what happens and, you know, it might hurt, but it might not. And mm-hmm. everyone's experience will be different. And so don't overemphasize the negative and um, but just truly be compassionate and let them know that, you know, you can come to them anytime. And just feel – just make the conversation as normal as possible so that there's – the shame doesn't happen from the get-go. But, you know, periods are, are inconvenient. And I think the more compassion we can have and say, yeah, that's, that's hard, um, then they'll feel safe to come to you when when things do get really hard because sometimes they do.
0: Yeah. And shout out to that teacher for being so cool to, like, show the boys <laughs> all those products. That's awesome. I wish I had that teacher. <laughs> And also to what you said, that made me think of like another way to look at it, which I think is so smart, is to be like, this is another way to know your body. And you're going to you can be curious about it. You don't have to shy away from it. Ask questions. See what changes every month. Like your body is telling you something. So pay attention. Don't run from it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, And I
1: think the the other thing that I've learned from a couple of my friends are sexual health educators is like having your period is part of your reproductive health and reproductive health is actually a really positive, should be a really positive conversation Mm. and that actual sex should be a positive conversation and that people should learn that sex should be pleasurable and is a normal activity and not something to kind of be taboo as well. And, and so I think that that's a really great opportunity to have with our, our kids as well as teaching them that, Reproductive health is important, but also to be body positive as well as sex positive.
0: Mm -hmm. And to make choices that are right for you, which is also tied to your products and saying, look, here's an array of options. Whatever's comfortable for you is what you should do. So that's great. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been an awesome conversation. And um, so if people want to try luna pads or any of the products that you um sell where do you recommend they go
1: well definitely our website is the best place to get the best choice in terms of size and color and you know absorbency and that kind of thing um so lunapads.com. um and uh there you can also if you want to shop in store we do have a store locator on our website um or you can shop at uh, target.com and they will actually ship it to your local store. So that's an option because there's what, 1800 Target stores in America? Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, but, uh, and if you're in Canada, we're in all the Whole Foods across Canada. Um, so I guess, you know, depending on where your listeners are, they should just go to the website and go to the store locator or just simply shop online. And, um, you know, there's also opportunities for money saving. When you sign up for a newsletter, you get an immediate promo code to save money. So, yeah. Awesome. That's what I would recommend. Sounds great. Thank you so much again. All right, Janie. It was a pleasure chatting with you.
0: It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to that conversation with Suzanne. And thank you, Suzanne. Um, So now it's time for the giveaway. You guys, this is super exciting. We have $100 in Luna Pads money to give away. And here's what I'm going to ask of you. Okay? So listen. I... I've realized recently in my frequent conversations about menstruation that I learn something new every day. And these are all things we should have all learned before menstruating. So, for example, I recently learned, and I'm going to get it wrong. It's so confusing to me. Okay. Perimenopause happens before menopause. I thought you just like hit menopause, that's it, and you're good. There's a whole thing called paramenopause, okay? I also recently learned that sometimes when you have a period, you just get some straight up clear stuff. I don't know how I learned that. But the point is, I keep learning about periods and the more I talk to people my age, I realize that we are all adults constantly learning about periods. So if you tweet at us a fact you recently learned about periods. Even though you're an adult and should have learned it as a child, you will be entered to win a $100 Luna Pad gift card. Now, you have to tweet at us. Our handle is at 844stolarx. That's S-T-O-L-A-R-X. And we will randomly select someone to get that gift card. And uh, let's say we'll give you a week. <laughs> I mean, we, we're making up the rules because we're just really grateful we got this gift card. And uh, we're really grateful that you listen and that you're participating and that we're all learning about periods together. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.